Welcome to Grace Unscripted, where we share stories of the people in and around Grace Church without any script, just real, raw conversations about life change through Jesus. I am your host, Audrey Wallace, and today's conversation is with my sweet friend, Kelsey Rail. Kelsey is our pastor, Nate Rail's wife, and she shares a journey that she went through in her life, starting with a foundation of Jesus' unconditional love that was built into her as a child and how that came full circle as she journeyed into parenthood on her own and how she um, needed to lean into that unconditional love of Jesus, into the community that he built around her because, spoiler alert, parenting was two times harder than she expected it to be. So listen up to Kelsey's story here. And if anything resonates with you, I do encourage you to reach out to us here at Grace Church so we can talk more with that. Hello, welcome, Kelsey. Hey, how's it going? Good, how are you today? Doing great. The sun is shining. Mm. Spent some of the day out with my kids, mm-hmm. watching them play while I worked. It was a good day. You are, you're in the sweet spot. We'll get yes. to that, but yes. definitely in a sweet spot. For sure. Yes. And also, you know, it's, it's a delight for me because many times I sit across from someone I've not met before, but today I get to just have a conversation with a friend. Yes. Because you and I, we go back. Way back. We do. I have been looking forward to it. And I think the first memory that's very clear about our friendship is when you invited me, when the kids were teeny tiny, to some sort of a gym, open gym thing. Oh, tell that's me more. The, that's the first memory. I'm sure there were other <laughs> memories, but that was a little hazy because they were little. Yeah. Um, and you were like, hey, do you want to come to this open gym thing? A bunch of us will be there and the kids can just run. And I was like, yes, <laughs> I do yes. want to come to that. So I remember that very clearly. But yeah, that was years and years ago, probably close to 10 years ago. That's okay. true. That's so. true. Well, no spoilers. Let's start at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> and understand how we got to any point where uh, you have littles and are needing a runaround time. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I want to um, actually, I'll probably learn some things here today as well. Well, but wanted to start at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Tell me about your childhood and where you grew up and your family. Cool. Okay, so I'll start at the very beginning. My mom and dad met um, at a college, and it was like right after my dad had accepted Christ. He had just gone through a pretty big bout of uh, stomach cancer, and he had almost died, mm-hmm. and God was already pulling on his heart. And so he had just accepted Christ. He was around, I want to say, 27 or so. And um, my mom was at this college as a pianist, and my dad was thinking he wanted to be a pastor. So think back to the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, I, could, I could feel like a Saturday Night Live skit's about to bust out here. <laughs> yes, it is that. So my mom wanted to be a pastor's wife who played the piano, and my dad wanted to be a pastor, and they oh, wow. found each other. And oh, that's a whole other podcast that... Was super cool. Um, And so what happened was after my dad um, went through seminary, I was actually born while they were in Toccoa Falls, Georgia. Mm -hmm. So I was born in Georgia. They then moved to Rochester, New York, where I lived until I was about eight years old. Mm -hmm. And my dad pastored a church there. And then, um, and my sister was born there too, my sister Kayla. And um, it's just the two of us. And then... uh, Around the age of eight, we moved to a place called Missouri Valley, Iowa, a little teeny town right outside of Omaha, Nebraska. 
And uh, my dad pastored a really small church in that town. And so, like, between the two of those uh, cities, there was, like, a massive dynamic that, that shifted when I was a kid. So, like, the Rochester, New York dynamic was suburban, mm-hmm. um, like, really, really populated, very, very, it was called Greece, the, the city of Greece. And um, I kind of grew up, you know, when you're little and you know nothing and everything that you're learning day to day you think is, like, the trajectory of your yeah. life. <laughs> yeah, everything is, uh, is your whole world it's when you're that size. It's your whole world. Uh, I grew up in that culture, even though I haven't ever left the United States. I have experienced many cultures within it. I grew up in that culture. And so by the time I was going into third grade, we moved into a different culture, Mm -hmm. which was rural and small. And, um, you know, when you're that age, it's not your decision. Mm -hmm. So you leave behind a lot of things that you love. And, of course, my parents did too. Um, But around that time... I started experiencing a lot of sadness, which now we know is depression. Mm. So my parents kind of pushed into that and uh, tried to help me figure out what's going on because I was third grade. Yeah. Um, and the cultural shift was another one was I was at a Christian school in Rochester okay. or Greece, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And then I went to a public school and it was a very different dynamic. And sometimes you don't find a different dynamic, Mm -hmm. but there was a very different dynamic. And so academically, I started struggling big time. Mm. Um, Things that I wouldn't necessarily have been privy to, uh, I became aware I was unaware, right? Like Uh, very naive to. got it. And so making friends was good, and I was able to make friends and everything. But the, the whole, like, that whole paradigm shift for me since I was in that age range was really hard. Mm. So we ended up living there until I was around 12. Okay. And um, so the way that that progressed was through the years, um, my dad had this church and we would go to church with some of my friends and some of my friends would come and my parents were amazing with my friends and some of their stories were really difficult and some of the ways that their stories impacted them impacted their behavior which then, since they were my friends, Mm. impacted my behavior. Mm -hmm. And my dad was a pretty cool dude um, in that he was very protective of his family. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times you'll hear things about pastors' kids and pastors and how we kind of live in a fishbowl. It's just, like, unavoidable. It's fine. Mm -hmm. Um, But he was really good about understanding that that was part of our life and being very intentional with his daughters and we always knew that we came first Mm -hmm. and so as my behavior started to kind of corrode um (laughs) he stepped in in several ways pulled me out of my school that I had made friends with so Mm. this is around this is eighth grade now that's a tough time I know that's a tough time for anybody (laughs) anywhere let alone everything you're explaining here so yeah I had changed schools in third grade now I'm changing schools again in eighth grade and they put me in a very small Christian school about 30 minutes away um and you know did the necessary you know grounding Mm -hmm. taking away of things to protect their daughter who you know at that age kind of 
thinks they know mm-hmm. all the things and they know you're saying you this don't. very calmly and nicely <laughs> now, but it sounds like maybe a lot of counseling <laughs> has brought you there because I don't think an eighth grade kid would have said no. they were grounding and protecting me. No, it was very <laughs> angsty. Very. Okay. Um, yeah, but um, and and me and my parents have been able to talk it out through yeah. the years. So yeah. for sure, that like, type of counseling. you're on the other side now. You have. 12-year-olds. So you're definitely like writing the thank you notes for the things that you used to say in a way too. Okay. hundred percent. Got it. For sure. Um, And so as we progressed down this new uh, realm where I was rebelling and they were, you know, protecting, Mm -hmm. a job opportunity came up in Akron, Ohio for my dad. And so halfway through my eighth grade year, we as a family moved to Akron, Ohio, and my dad started pastoring at a church. And I started going to um, a Christian school here in mm-hmm. Akron. And so another paradigm shift mm-hmm. um, and like many, many details that go into that. But it was also, um, I was at a school and a church where I met my now husband. Okay, in in junior high. In junior high. Wow. Okay. So this is part of the story. Um, and when I moved here, you know, I had been through several transitions. Um, none of that was lost on my parents by any means. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you're already in turmoil as a 12, 13-year-old, yes. and then you've been through several transitions in schools, friendships, mm-hmm. cultures, states, places, states. Miles and miles of space without <laughs> social media to keep up, right? right? You're not like writing letters to these people right. to stay close. And I'm you sure. still had to pay long distance yeah. if you wanted to call anybody. <laughs> 10, 10, 2, 20. Oh, my goodness gracious. <laughs> my kids would be like, what? What's long distance? Um, so, yeah, kind of just, like, uprooted and came here. And um, I actually met Nate. I kind of didn't realize I met him when I met him because I was in a bad mood, as okay. you can imagine, <laughs> um, when his family was one of the several families in that church to come help us move into our first home here. Wow. And um, I'm sure I made a great impression. Imagining uh, <laughs> like a moody Kelsey wearing like black oh. and like Wednesday Adams or something. Yeah, yeah, pretty close. Um, but uh, I made some friendships kind of right away. But I I started praying for a best friend. Mm. And what's kind of what's interesting about my relationship with God through this whole thing was. I truly believe by the grace of God and his Holy Spirit, but also by the example of my family mm-hmm. and how they weren't, they weren't, um, they were concerned by what I was doing, mm-hmm. but they were committed to me mm-hmm. and committed to showing their love for me. And mm-hmm. uh, that came first over mm-hmm. anything, other people's perceptions, whatever. Unconditional. Unconditional. Like. As much as you can be as a human. Mm-hmm. Um because of that, I didn't ever feel like um, God was not near. Mm. And my journey with God actually began when I was five Okay, in that first Christian school and uh, just followed up through in its different phases, which he's a relational God, so each one of us get our own relationship with him. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, that's a whole nother mm-hmm. podcast, but... Mm-hmm. At that time, even though I had been through a lot of turmoil, definitely wasn't behaving appropriately, I still knew God was for yeah. me. Yeah. Um, and so I prayed for a best friend because mm. I just needed a little, you know, a little something that was steady. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, 
Nate ended up being that best friend. Wow. So um, he and I started being friends, or I guess you can say boyfriend and girlfriend. I mean, now as a parent, I'm like, <laughs> can you even 13? imagine? Come on, come on, guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, but mainly really good friends um, when we were both 13. And so 25 plus years, something like that, a while ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was really kind of, he had, if anybody knows Nate, he's steady. Mm. So he has always been very steady. He has always steadied me. Um, and some of the things that I was dealing with, he was really great about, he wasn't intimidated by them, mm-hmm. first of all. And he was really good about calling me out on them. Okay. That's good and balance. holding me accountable, even at that young age. Mm-hmm. And I cared about him, so I cared what he thought. And mm-hmm. um, it was a really huge intervention in my life. Mm-hmm. And then um, so we met in junior high, went through high school together, high school sweethearts. Wow. And I was um, a year ahead by grade. Okay. But he's older than me mm-hmm. because of where on the East Coast they had different cutoffs, so mm-hmm. I was in kindergarten by four years old. Wow. And he went to kindergarten around six years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I went off to college in Nyack, New York, at Nyack College, which was a Christian college. Played some soccer there for a year. Mm-hmm. And then he also came, came on a soccer scholarship. And we loved the city, so it was right across the Hudson, Mm-hmm. Um, we could see the city. Wow. I was there when 9-11 happened, so I wow. could see the smoke after it all went down. Oh, my gosh. Um, had a good uh, understanding of what devastation that caused mm-hmm. um, pretty early on and had many friends that were impacted by it. Mm-hmm. Um, he came the year after, and we actually got involved in a church together. Okay. So... I would say this next portion kind of starts the adulthood portion. So that was like my childhood in a nutshell, I guess. Very well summarized. And uh, it's just blowing my mind that that at 13 you guys met. I'm sure you've told me that before, but it just re-blows my mind. Yeah, mine too, still. That that relationship was built there in even like more distance again. You you chose to go to New York at this point, and then he came as well. Mm-hmm. Soccer, the whole nine, um, you know, such an interesting pathway for you too. And, you know, in college, there's a whole new realm of mm-hmm. choices and mindsets and temptations and, mm-hmm. you know, questions. So um, yeah. what did that look like for you guys? Sounds like you joined a church together. Did that stay part of your focus? Yeah, yeah. So um, a shout out to his parents and mine for how they handled our relationship early on. They created environments that we were allowed to be together, but that we had to be friends. Mm-hmm. So like they taught us how to be friends and they had good relational boundaries for us growing up so that we couldn't just like lose ourselves in one another. Mm-hmm. And um, that's also partially our personalities is we're very distinct in Mm -hmm. like who who we are and we celebrate that with one another but um they definitely helped us realize like you don't really have to worry about distance or Mm -hmm. making choices for your future Mm -hmm. that are maybe may may or may not line up yeah and so I mean even when Nate went through his process of finding where he was going Mm -hmm. to be 
for college. He had several options and made several decisions. And the decisions he made to come to Nyack, I was definitely, you know, like mm-hmm. the icing on the cake. But he had a real reasonable foundation of why he was going to be there. So mm-hmm. that helped us, too, because then we're not, you know... Um, reliant on one another Mm -hmm. for our future decisions at such a young age. So anyway. So much wisdom there. And some delicious icing too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Our parents, our parents were amazing at that. So you you don't know it in the moment, but when you look back, you're like, look what they did. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we get there at the same time. I'm a sophomore. He's a freshman. And we start, um, looking for ways to give back and serve and be part of a church. And there were lots of churches around there, but one of them was advertising that they needed children's workers. Mm -hmm. And um, Nate and I were like, "Mm, we should give that a try. So we went out to this church in New Jersey, and it was about an hour away from school. And they were very, very good to us. They were just starting up, so they needed young people to come in, take care of the kids so that the people who were already Mm -hmm. there could attend the services and just really get this thing off the ground. And so he and I spent many, many years there. Um, I've, I, um, I then became the children's director after I graduated. Oh, wow. What did you study? So I studied elementary education. Okay. And he studied secondary education. Okay. Um, but mainly he played soccer and golf for yeah. the school. <laughs> yeah, got that. Okay. <laughs> Which was great, right up his alley. Mm-hmm. So we both graduated and we're still working for the church. I had a full pi- full-time position there, and he was working at a golf course. And so we, we moved out to New Jersey from Nyack, mm-hmm. New York. And so we were living in a sweet little town that we still love to visit called Summit, New Jersey, and taking care of, I had up to the fifth graders that I was overseeing with several friends that worked with us. And then he was primarily in charge of the middle schoolers mm-hmm. and uh, along with several friends that were working with us too. Mm-hmm. And um, I loved it. And that was kind of like my path. He was working at a um, golf course and one day I was walking down the road because where we were, we were in an apartment. So there's a lot of walking down the road mm-hmm. from where you parked your car to mm-hmm. where you actually lived. <laughs> and I can remember it clear as day when God was like, um, Nate needs to be the youth pastor. And I was like, nope. Mm-hmm. And the reason I tell that story and Nate gave me permission, he's like, no, you really should tell that story. Okay. Um, is because I understood being a pastor's kid and watching what it takes to be a pastor, what that would mean for me as his wife and what it would Mm -hmm. mean for our children later on in terms of, like, sacrifice and stuff like that. And so I was being very selfish Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, just carrying some of that uh, baggage, I suppose, with me. Um, And so I was like, no. But within that short distance of four blocks, (laughs) I knew at that point in my life, that was not really going to be a fight I was supposed to fight. Yeah. It was, I wasn't going to win. Right. God said it. I right. mean, it was very clear. Um, I found a lot of times when he speaks to me, it's just very peaceful, which you don't mm. experience in everyday life. Mm-hmm. And it's very clear, which you also don't necessarily experience mm-hmm. in everyday life. And so. Can I, can I dig in a little more there? Sure. Like, were you seeking an answer or seeking a direction? Were you asking God to show you something or were you just 
walking down the street? Well, at that point, I wasn't seeking anything. Um, our youth pastor was transitioning out. Okay. And it was just kind of like on my brain. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even really that serious. Um, but I think because of the context of Nate being involved and us having been involved for years and years, um, it didn't just seem like out of the blue. Yeah. He had built relationships with the kids. And um, so, you know, I um, conceded and actually was the one that <laughs> said to him that night, you know what you really need to do? You need to, you know, be a youth pastor. Mm-hmm. And he was looking to transition from the, he loved his job at the golf course, but he needed to transition because it was so demanding mm-hmm. um, time-wise. Are you guys so, married yet at this point? Oh, yeah. Sorry, I skipped that part. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> yeah, like making life decisions here, but... Rewind. I guess because we had been together so long. Yeah. You know. He's like, no. when, does, when does marriage? <laughs> like, it's 13. You were, 13, you were yeah. in it to right. win it. Right. Um, so we got married, actually. He was a... He was a... Oh, wait a minute. He was, I think, and he can correct me if I'm wrong because I kind of can't remember. <laughs> no, I think he was a junior. So he came to college in 2002, and then we got married in 2004. So he was a junior in college, and I was a senior. Okay. So that was interesting. Wow. Got married while in college, like in the summertime, a Christmas break. We did a summer wedding. Okay. And then we came, so we did it here in Ohio uh-huh. um, because most of our family was here and friends and everything, and it was great. And our pastor from the church in New Jersey came down, and my dad and he, like, mm-hmm. co-pastored. Mm-hmm. It was cool. Um, and then we, you know, went back to the East Coast after summer break. And I think that year, I think we counted up. We Between the two of us, we had, like, work-wise, we had, like, 11 W2s or something oh when we so we were like, huh, I guess we chose the hard way, but yeah. <laughs> there's some life lessons there. Though, there were sure. many life lessons and many like God moments mm-hmm. of where he would show up in like financial ways, mm-hmm. relational ways, housing, mm-hmm. like all the things in those transitional years mm-hmm. where you're like not quite finished with something, but you're moving on towards mm-hmm. actual adulthood. And yep. we decided to get married right in the middle of it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just, just <laughs> another tiny little life change. No big deal. <laughs> yeah. So that's when we got married, 2004. So this will be 19 years Oof. in June. Hey, happy anniversary. Thanks. Thanks. Wow. Okay. So then now you're getting a calling from God. You feel, you felt it, but was this affirmed by him? Was he feeling it too? Or did he have to go through his own process to? He was very easy to latch onto it. I mean, it wasn't even really anything we had talked about. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's another way you can tell when it's a God thing, when it's just like, okay, there's peace, there's Mm -hmm. unity. And so he became the interim youth pastor and then became the commissioned youth pastor. And so that created like a new dynamic and that was like more cohesive. Our lives overlapped a little bit more. Um, But even then, like as we moved into the realm of wanting to become parents, when you're a student pastor, a lot of your career is lived in the second half of the day Mm -hmm. rather than in the, like the typical career portion of the day. Um, so we had conversations about that, um, but we didn't have it figured out by any means um, and just kind of had to continue morphing and 
talking with one another, and we had a lot of mentors in our life for when we went through, as you can imagine, some struggles in Mm -hmm. our marriage. Um, We had people that we could actually be extraordinarily honest with, Mm -hmm. very real uh, conversations, never judged. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were just super, super fortunate um, that God had put these people in our lives that we could kind of just like put all the dirty laundry on the table and never feel like anyone was like, well, can't you just clean that up a little bit before you, you know, it was huge, huge for us. So they walked with us through the pre-parenting years. Okay. And then we got to, I think I was 26 or 27. Um, I was still, um, children's, I was still a children's director Mm -hmm. and, um, we found out that we were going to have a baby Mm -hmm. and I was like, you know what though? I'm a children's director. Like my whole world is set up around babies and yeah. children all the way up to fifth grade. And so I love working. I'm keep working. Mm-hmm. And so then we were, you know, getting everything checked out and everything. And the doctor's talking to us and he's asking us about, do you guys have twins in your family? Mm-hmm. And we're, you know, I don't know. I don't why think do so. you ask? Yeah. Why, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. What do you, what, what are we, you know, talking about here? It didn't even like really register with Nate and I, cause we had a million other questions we were mm-hmm. asking being first time parents. Yeah. And you know, all of a sudden he's like, and here's the heartbeat. And so, you know, you have that moment. Mm-hmm. It's precious. You see that little kidney bean with the flicker mm-hmm. heartbeat and you hear it and you're just like, wow. And then he's still chatting with us, you know, and I'm thinking he's just going to like find another angle to show me the Mm -hmm. cute heartbeat again and chatting away. And then he interrupts us and he goes, and here's the other heartbeat. Oh, (laughs) yeah. And I don't remember if it was Nate or if it was me, but one of us said, the other what? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. And then um, so, you know, we called our parents and, you know, we thought we were clever. And we said, well, we heard the heartbeats today. Mm -hmm. And my mom caught on right away. And (laughs) of course, then everybody comes out of the woodworks. Oh, and -and so-and-so's a twin and -and so-and-so's a twin and so on both sides. So Now we know why Dr. asked. Got it. Yeah. Yep. So we were going to have two babies. And... um, I don't think you're just ready. I don't think you're ready for parenthood, regardless of how many are coming. Mm -hmm. And so we started walking into this um, new phase, very, very new. And um, I still thought, you know, I'm still going to work. This will be fine. Mm -hmm. And so um, we get closer to when the babies are going to come. And I started experiencing a lot of health problems, like physical health problems. And it was becoming harder to walk and... um, very, very painful. And Mm -hmm. I was also experiencing like these hormonal shifts that I didn't understand. So I can say words that define what I was going through now, but I had no idea what I was going through then. Yeah. Yeah. So I started experiencing like a lot of anxiety, tons of anxiety about things that I never had before, but I'd never been a parent before. So I didn't I didn't know what to think of them. I allowed them to be there because I didn't have time to stop mm-hmm. and, like, really get counsel on them, nor did I have words to understand right. what was going on at all. Right. So um, it turned out that I ended up having to go in and have a C-section a month early mm-hmm. because I actually couldn't walk anymore. Wow. <laughs> and um, I called Nate in the middle of the day, and I was like, I, I'm not feeling them move the mm-hmm. midwife was very clear because she could tell it was getting really hard. Mm-hmm. She was very clear and said, if there if there's anything different yeah. ever, you yeah. go straight to the hospital. Yeah. And so um, he got me into the hospital, and we ended up having our babies mm-hmm. in 2010. 
And you're away from family. And we're away from well. family. Both of you mm-hmm. away from family. You have, it sounds like, a very healthy community. Totally. There's not quite anything like being around your family when you have right. littles. Yeah. Right. Very true. Our friends were and still are just wonderful, mm-hmm. wonderful people who we love dearly. But that's, it's just mm-hmm. a thing. And yeah. so, and he had several f- family members here. Both sets of grandparents would be here for mm-hmm. him. And both sets of our parents were here, mm-hmm. and then aunts and uncles as well, mm-hmm. my sister and mm-hmm. his brothers. And so, yeah, but at that point, you know, we're still like. You're embedded in the community yep. there. You're happy in your positions. This is our and place. You're growing. Yeah, sure. Our family would come out and visit. My mom would fly out and help out. But it was around like the four month mark um, of having all these anxious feelings. Uh, and as you can imagine, with the new being a new parent, no sleep. Oh yeah. Um, my son had like really bad reflux, so we had to keep a good eye on him to make sure that he didn't choke. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched him choke a couple times, and so like even when I was trying to sleep, I couldn't really sleep. Sure. Any little noise. <laughs> Any little noise. Any noise just springs those eyes right back open. Yep. Yep. And doing it with two mm. was a thing, and mm-hmm. I just uh, started to really lose myself Mm -hmm. but at this point I probably had been losing myself I guess is the best way I could say for quite a while probably um, before the babies even came into Mm -hmm. the world while I was still pregnant with them Mm -hmm. and so we reached out to a few medical professionals and they were not helpful Mm -hmm. at all they didn't really even know what to do with it Mm -hmm. Um, and Nate had to really go to bat for me and like help people understand like She's trying to tell you what's going on because she knows it's not okay. And what we came to an understanding through friends, Mm -hmm. primarily, was that I was suffering from what they called then, 12 years ago, postpartum depression. Okay. And I think at that time, it was still very controversial, even though it was not that long ago. It was still very controversial as to whether people believed in it, first of all, that it was actually a real thing. Not a good starting point for someone who's suffering. Not great. (laughs) And um, in terms of research, there just wasn't a lot out Mm -hmm. there on it. And since then, they have called it, which I think is brilliant, postpartum depression and anxiety Mm. because I was able to get out of bed. Mm -hmm. I was able to function. Mm. I over functioned. Oh, interesting. To the degree where everything was a big deal. Okay. I was certain doom was around the corner Mm -hmm. at all times. Like I just couldn't get out of my head. Mm -hmm. So that protectiveness that you experience as a parent and particularly a mom, like Mm -hmm. that mama bear instinct was Mm -hmm. heightened too high. And that's a beautiful and good and by design instinct. Yes. But unless it's too far to the extreme, I suppose. Yes. Whether high or low. Yes, exactly. And, um, you know, hormones are still very ominous. And so they... I didn't understand that there was something else controlling me. Mm. Um, And I couldn't control myself. Like, I just couldn't control the thoughts, and I couldn't um, bring myself back down to earth. So along with that, I was still working, which I really enjoyed because it, like, kind of gave me this um, reprieve from what I was still trying to figure out in terms of being a new mom. Mm -hmm. Um. And uh, along with the, the health problems that I had when I was pregnant, I wasn't actually able to walk 
again until I was around, like the babies were like one month old. So there's a whole slew of things that went on there and it just set our, our whole main level up like a little hospital room. Um, we decided like, we're going to wait to have more kids just because that was just like, whoa, what what was that? And, um, thought, you know, three to five years Maybe we'll think about it again. Mm -hmm. And so the twins were about a year old when I started to come out of that fog of postpartum anxiety. I still didn't get a lot of clear direction. I had gone to some counseling, and I was being well-counseled, but I was being counseled as if I didn't have, just like as if I was a new mom without postpartum. Gotcha. So um, it was helpful in theory, Mm -hmm. but when you can't control your brain, it's like, not helpful. There's something more. Yeah. There's another mm-hmm. layer. And and knowing you the way I know you, this is completely abnormal behavior and for yeah. you to be out of control. Like yeah. you're, you're as I as we all hear here, very poised and <laughs> you know, you know what's going on here. <laughs> and that would be completely taking the floor out from under you. And yeah. Nate, I'm sure, who's mm-hmm. known you for so long mm-hmm. and through so many different things is probably also just blindsided and yes. not sure, but deeply caring and, and like you said, going to bat for you. Yeah. And that's exactly what it was. Like we felt blindsided and we didn't, both of us combined didn't know what was going on. Um, and it was scary. It was very scary because when you reach out to medical professionals who are supposed to be able to help you and they can't help you, you just kind of, you know what to do. So our family and primarily our friends at that point really rallied around us. People would come over on a weekly basis like they'd have their specific day that they committed to come over to help wow. with the twins. I mean, these were just precious, precious yes. times that ideally I would have been able, capable of enjoying, mm-hmm. but they were there and they like helped us through that time. And mm-hmm. by the time the twins were around one, like I said, the fog started lifting mm-hmm. and I was like, Oh my goodness, I see myself again. Mm-hmm. I had learned a little bit more about postpartum, um, especially due to a couple of my friends who, kind of understood mental health mm-hmm. a little more because this was a whole new world for me. Sure. Um, and then um, God started tugging on my heart to resign and stay home with the kids. Okay. Another moment, kind of like on the sidewalk <laughs> when he was like, Nate needs to be a pastor. I'm like, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I love my job. Mm-hmm. I don't want to leave. The kids come with me. Like, this is what I want to do. Yeah. And so I actually did fight that one a little longer. And Nate and I both went back and forth about like, oh, you know, this is going to be a tough choice, not just because it would be a massive life change, but also um, a massive financial shift out on the East Coast. While you're adding mouths and all that too. Yes. And I couldn't shake it. I really couldn't shake it. And he was still very clear, very patient. God was very clear and very patient that it was time for me to stay home. Mm. So the twins were about 14 months old. And I actually, I think it, it was um, just early January, um, I emailed, I had a couple people that I reported to, and I emailed them and I said, I am going to answer this call to stay home mm-hmm. and I'll give six months notice because it wasn't the type of job that you just like, I'll give you two weeks notice. And they find a replacement yeah. just on a whim, right? Yeah. And I wanted to make sure that I had everything spelled out for the next person so Mm -hmm. that they could just start from there and build off of it rather than like, 
wait, what? Or should I call her? I don't want to bother. Yeah. You know, so I wanted that time. Well, that was probably around two in the afternoon. And then that evening I was talking to my sister who was um, back here in Ohio and we were just chatting and we started talking about kids or whatever. And it just made me start thinking like, huh, you know, something's different right now. And so sure enough, that very day was the day that we found out little Liam was going to be coming. Okay. So that was a really interesting phenomenon because the the decision we had made was because of health reasons. Yeah. And we needed a minute. Yeah. And it just was so interesting how in that same day I decided to be obedient to what God was asking. Wow. He already knew, obviously, yes. that our sweet Liam was coming. Wow. And so it was just Okay, here we go. Another another whirlwind yeah. is coming our way. And so at this point, we started thinking through, do we move home? Yeah. Like, this is a lot of babies. Um, the financial shift yep. was huge. Yep. Um, I hadn't started down any of the postpartum yet. And you're still trying to do six months of due diligence on your job to let yes. go that you thought was going to be to care for your two babes. Yes. And now you have to go through pregnancy while on right. a body that's hardly recovered based on the way science works in our yeah, bodies. Right. And like, it takes time for that all to go back in place. It, it surely <laughs> does. And a, and a surgery that was only like a year out or yeah, whatever. Yeah, you like, so. walking for two, three months. <laughs> like, was, your body needed some time oh, as well goodness. as your heart and your mind. And Yeah. 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 Um, but Nate and I had joked um, when we had the twins, because it was challenging without family, we would we would joke, well, if we have a third baby, then we'll move back home. Mm. And I think God had already been tugging on us to come home. And so this mm-hmm. was like the very clear answer. And to our joy, we were going to have a little boy. Mm-hmm. Um, so the like fast forwarding, uh, six months, I guess. I, I stopped my job and I start staying home with the kids. I think it was a good month or two that I was home and I was, you know, pregnant and I had the little one-year-olds toddling oh around gosh. and, you know, that phase where you're like, I always call it, you're like on death watch because they can do stairs yeah. and, you know, they can, they can divide and conquer. Like they... <laughs> Like one would be this way and that one would be that way and I'm pregnant and I'm trying to chase them both. It was comical. I mean, oh my goodness. there should be a sitcom about it. But yeah. like um, it was around July. So I found out about Liam in January. It was around July that all of a sudden the shift happened again. And I called my mom and I was like, oh. I can feel it coming back, the postpartum. And they have done research where like this can actually happen before it's yeah. postpartum. It right. can happen in your pregnancy. So we decided that because of the, the you know, I wanted to be able to walk when Liam was born this time. Yeah. And because the postpartum was kicking in and because it was just challenging to make sure that the twins could thrive while I was pregnant, mm-hmm. um, I moved back home with my mom and dad for the last trimester to make sure that everything was okay. And so wow. Nate would come back and forth and visit. Wow. Yeah, he's amazing. Champion. Champion. Wow. yes. For sure. And it worked out really well. Um, I was able to walk out of the hospital. Mm. And um, it was really sweet because my dad always wanted grandkids. And mm-hmm. so he was 
thrilled to have them around more. And mm-hmm. my mom has always been amazing with babies. She was a foster um, a fo- uh, foster sibling. Like she, her mm. parents fostered when she was younger. Oh, wow. So she was very good, okay. you know, at that. And then my mother-in-law had raised five boys. Yeah. So obviously amazing <laughs> yeah. as well. And it was cool to see family, my sister, aunts and uncles, everybody, cousins. Um, but then it was time to go back home after the surgery. So this is from July to September. Mm-hmm. And we moved back home this t- 2012 and um, just couldn't shake it. The hormones wouldn't rebalance mm. and things got really, really difficult. Um, and I believe that when I finally found a site that was reputable to mm. learn a little bit about postpartum depression, which had not been diagnosed as anxiety yet, mm-hmm. I realized that they had decided there was four stages and I was in the third stage. Wow. And so um, that's when I was like, I, I, I don't know what to do. And Nate and I were trying to figure out what to do and family or friends were trying to help us. Mm-hmm. And it was just all like the doors that could have opened to provide a path for us to stay in New Jersey closed. Mm. Just one right after another, after another, after another. And so we decided to move me back home mm-hmm. in January of 2013. So mm-hmm. Liam was born in September 2012. Mm-hmm. Sweetest little guy. The twins adored him. Mm-hmm. He was pretty easy because he just wanted to be around noise, which was our life A at plenty. that point. <laughs> noise noise abounding, yes. Yep, yep. And um, the kids were so good with him. But we moved home, or we moved me home in mm-hmm. January of 2013. And that's when Nate started thinking through his next steps. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when we found out about Grace Church. I had kind of known about Grace Church Bath Campus because my sister had gone and I had visited and then my parents started coming. And I had visited like two or three times and we had actually been there the Christmas before I ended up moving home with all three kids. And um, Nate was able to see what was going on here. So that was part of the beginning of my recovery of postpartum anxiety, Mm -hmm. which had also moved into depression and anxiety. So Mm -hmm. then at this point, I was not capable of doing small things. Like I remember vividly, I couldn't make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for my kids. And I couldn't empty the dishwasher without Mm. having a panic attack. So like all these things in your mind, you know, aren't right and Mm -hmm. you can't make it stop. Um, One of the things that was super helpful to me during that time of research was somebody, it was either something I read or somebody had told me that, um, and I think maybe depression and anxiety on their own, not postpartum could Mm -hmm. potentially be this way too, but um, they called postpartum the smiling disease because oh, say more about that. Yeah, it was really fascinating to me and I resonated with it because two dynamics are going on. When you're a mom, um, your instinct is to protect mm-hmm. your babies. And mm-hmm. so if you're telling them that there's anything going on that's abnormal within you, if you're telling people that mm. it's scary because it's vulnerable mm-hmm. and you want them to understand your heart but also help you with your thoughts and, um, your potential behaviors. Yes. Um, so that's one piece of why, but the other piece of why is because something in your brain tries to self protect to the degree where you have all these thoughts going on in your mind that you can't get out of your mouth. 
It's really bizarre. And it's very true, having experienced it firsthand. Um, And they go into it more, if you research it more, they go into like what the brain is doing, um, which of course at that time I had no understanding of. Um, But when Nate and I would reflect on it, he would often not have the same reality that I had. Mm -hmm. So he was like living in reality day to day. Mm -hmm. And I was living in my head. Mm -hmm. But I thought it was... Perception is reality in a way. So that's what your reality was. And they weren't aligning. They weren't aligning. And I wasn't aware enough to realize that he didn't know they weren't aligning mm-hmm. because I wasn't getting what was in my head okay. out of my mouth. Yeah. And it just looked like everything was fine. The smile, the smiling disease or whatever. Wow. And there's moments where you can kind of like pull yourself together for the sake of what you know you should be doing. Yeah. But your biology and your hormones are just consistently pulling you back into this alternate uh, mm-hmm. space, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. So anyway... We get to a place where that was way too much. Move me back home. My recovery begins with family. Everybody comes around me. It was very hard to leave New Jersey because they were like our family. Yeah, absolutely. We visit frequently, and um, now we do have social media, and Mm -hmm. things aren't always, you know, Mm -hmm. you have to call long distance. Sure, sure. Um, So we can keep up with one another. Um, But then we started coming to Grace, and Nate was still in New Jersey at this point, transitioning out. He had to talk Mm -hmm. to our church about it and Mm -hmm. let them know what was going on. It was very new to us. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't something that we had, like, been harboring and then just sprung it on everybody. We were, like, in the Red alert button. You got to make a move, make a change, tell them later, and self-protection. That was exactly it, red alert. Like, somebody just had to push the button, and the button was pushed, and Mm -hmm. here we go. This is the new plan. Mm -hmm. So they were very supportive like I said, we were all very sad. Um, and through the next uh, four months, Nate would come back here and he had um, started interviewing with Jeff mm-hmm. Bogue. He had learned through our cousins, Kyle and Nadine Crocker, mm-hmm. who were coming here, still come here, um, and had been very involved even back in the Norton phase, you know, yeah. when all that was going on and Jeff was youth pastor there. They and there, they were there through the birthing years. That's and, right. And all those, yeah. That's yeah. right. Um, and they had kind of gotten us connected, and there was um, a couple job openings available, and Nate started interviewing with Jeff. So he would drive during the week to come here, be with us, have long conversations and really great interview process with Jeff, mm-hmm. um, and then drive back for the weekend to do the church in New Jersey, the job that he still had there. And um, through more God things where the doors in New Jersey were shutting, whether we wanted them to stay open or not, they Mm -hmm. were shutting, and God was moving us here, he was opening all the doors here, all of them. So to the point where somebody on the the elder board here was related to our very dear friends— in New Jersey. In New Jersey oh at that church. Wow. Very, like, you can't make that no, stuff up. No, no way. And so there was, like, a familial yeah. um, connection, connection there, right. which was kind of like the last piece of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. So um, Nate came on as the pastor of biblical community, I mm-hmm. believe is what it was. And everybody was great about, they knew what was going on. They knew that I was kind of just, like, trying to recover from postpartum. And they were 
great about it. Nobody was scared. About, I mean, it was just very much like, okay, come on, we'll, we'll get you through this. We've got yep. plenty, yep. Of, plenty of experience with that, I'm sure. Yeah. And it wasn't just like, a, oh, and now he has a job and Kelsey's like completely normal. No, it took a long time. It took probably two years after Liam was born before um, Nate and I both agreed like, okay, mm-hmm. um, he could see me again yeah. like well, coming out. Your comment at the very beginning of this was our first memory together makes a lot more sense now Yeah, because when Nate came as the pastor of biblical community, I was the part-time biblical community coordinator on mm. staff at Grace. Mm-hmm. And so I just remember that I had a new boss and right. he, and it, like, um, that's how I met him. And funny story there, I was also in life group with the Crockers, <gasps> Ryan, Rebecca, Kyle, and Aideen oh, were all in goodness. life group together. And I'm trying to remember there was a story where there was a family wedding and that their um, brother or cousin was coming back to do the wedding. Uh, he's a pastor out of state and he's coming to do the yes. wedding. I'm hearing this story. <laughs> and then I'm at work and I'm hearing that this guy is coming from out of state to come work here as a pastor. And then one day the light bulb went off that these two are the same person. Same person. <laughs> That's hilarious. And then we um, had done some stuff for life groups over the summer for the uh, kickoff for the new year, and that's my first oh, memory with you. Yes. We made pom poms for the summer that's XP right. over at the park. So, but I do the invitation that. for letting your kids run around in a space where they can yell and be safe and do it, burn energy makes a lot more sense. Oh now. man, I felt very loved by that invite. <laughs> I have to say, and I do. I am now. I'm recalling the pom poms. Mm-hmm. That was a good day too. Mm-hmm. That was fun. Yeah, but I did like. All this can I can see it, you know, the fog and yep. and the you're you also had just moved here and you were yes. just figuring it out. Your husband has this new job. There's this whole new community mm-hmm. to get used to. So, mm-hmm. um, but I I just thought you were awesome back then uh. and still do. Um, so okay, so you, you've moved here. The kids are little. Nate's starting this new job, yes. new community, and coming from such a rich, deep community that mm. you didn't expect to leave. Mm-hmm. Did you jump right back into that community here, or was that hard? Like, was it hard to let more people into the depths of Kelsey and Nate and and your world, especially given the space you were in? Yeah, I think, like, emotionally it wasn't hard because we enjoy people Mm -hmm. being in that space with us. Um, Authenticity is a big deal to us, and having lived out on the East Coast, Mm -hmm. you know, you you get what you get, and, like, it's wonderful. So we had gotten really used to that. Um, I think logistically, because of the phase we were in in parenting, it was difficult to be in lives the way we wanted to be just because we had three kids under the age of two. Like the twins weren't even two when Liam was born. So logistically getting out of the house and once we were out of the house, maybe you experienced this when I was at the picnic making pom-poms. You're still on death watch making sure the children are okay. All three of them now, you know, or, Mm -hmm. well, I think Liam was still in his car seat. So for the most part. Thank God for that before they can move. (laughs) Those are the days. Uh, They are. (laughs) The potted plant phase where like they're super excited to be sitting up and being a part of everything but can't move. That's the Best. Plant, yes. As the best. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think um, we've always been, as much as we possibly can be, while being intentional with our kids, tried to be really intentional with making friends and new friendships. And mm-hmm. it's taken us a while to understand the difference after you're a parent mm-hmm. from how you make friends in your 20s to how you make friends once you're a parent. 
um, because the the phases that they go through cause you to go through phases of friendships too. Mm-hmm. And there's some families that it all aligns, the stars align, mm-hmm. and all the children, you yeah, know, mix is, well. Yes, and the parents mix. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we were kind of like jumping into that also, mm-hmm. like the whole new world of making friends as new parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that age... You got a Spider-Man shirt. I got a Spider-Man shirt. We're friends now yeah, on the playground. Right, like kids exactly. can really, you know, chameleon to anybody. Yes. And you can chit-chat with a mom at the park as long as you need to. But yeah. the depth there, not quite yes. not quite there yet. Right. But, and then as the kids grow and suddenly they have opinions about who they like and oh don't my. like that go beyond the character they on their T-shirt. Do. And, yes. you know, you kind of have those, like the long lifer friendships are mm-hmm. really, you know, molded by new variables that you can't control. And So true. That's a perfect perfect way to put you need to write a book about that <laughs> because I think that's where you find yourself um as a parent and especially as you like approach middle age and you've gone through all of those shifts with your friendships all of those shifts and more to come with your children mm-hmm. how to navigate that and I think for Nate and I what we've had to do is instead of comparing what it was like in our mm. 20s we've had to like really appreciate what that was and those friendships and how deep they were able to be Mm. because of the circumstances, because of the people, whatever, and move forward in these new phases Mm -hmm. and find intentionality and depth in different ways, because that is a real thing. Like you, when you don't have deep relationships, you feel it and you know it, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter who you are Mm -hmm. and trying to build those while trying to build your relationship with your kids Mm -hmm. It's, it's very different. It's mm-hmm. challenging for mm-hmm. sure. So I, th- I would say we're still working on it. And sure. every phase is new. And, yeah. um, but we're trying to recognize it for what it is and be okay with it. Re- I read lots of books about it. Mm-hmm. It's a very common thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, like you said in the beginning, we're like in the sweet spot. Mm-hmm. So the littles all survived. <laughs> um, we did Death Watch really well. Yep. And everybody was able to be okay. Um, I don't know if we did it really well, but they they made it. Um, and uh, they're so Liam's ten, and the twins are twelve. Wow! Yeah, you've been so. a, you've been momming for twelve years. That's, I always think about yes. that. Like we say how kid are, how old our kids are, but as a mother, you are twelve. Yes, as well. yep. <laughs> that's, that's kind of ages in dog years too, because you go I through think it, right? So <laughs> I would say yes, yes to that. So. Um, we're enjoying this phase. Nate's really good at this phase because he was a youth junior pastor. high youth pastor. Right. Um, I enjoyed the elementary stage a lot, and I knew it was because of my background and my intrinsic motivation to like teach mm-hmm. and um, instruct. And um, my parents were really great about um, teaching us how to become independent. Mm-hmm. And then I had several women here that affirmed, like, yeah, mm-hmm. as soon as they can wipe down a counter, give them a Clorox yes. wipe. Like bef- as soon as they stop putting those in their mouth, like yeah. give them one as a tool and, you know, make sure they're helping you, even yes. if it's not exactly what. And um, so I really loved that part of that phase. And Nate's been really great about helping <laughs> my mama bear instinct mm. kind of shift into this new phase. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard it called like the coaching phase. Yes. And I'm reading a book now. It calls it the coaching phase, okay. like 12 to 18 of where you have told them all the things uh-huh. multiple times, uh-huh. right? The dog years of the first, <laughs> the first discipline and mm-hmm. um, instructional phases. 
And now you're like watching them either like do what you said or not. Mm -hmm. And so he's really good at reminding me that we are now their coaches Mm -hmm. and we can pull them off the field or Mm -hmm. call a foul whenever we feel like it, but we can't go play the game for them anymore. I'm not sure. (sighs) It depends on the day. I'm not sure how I feel about that yet. Uh I think I know how I feel about it, mm-hmm. <laughs> but logically how mm-hmm. I'm trying to allow that play out now is I think it's going to be a good new phase. Mm-hmm. And it was good of him to be like, okay, this is, this is where we are. And every stage of our parenting, whenever I started feeling like, okay, I'm losing him, like we had a groove and now I'm losing him. Mm-hmm. He and I would both sit down and we reevaluate what new phase we were in. Ooh. And then he would come up with with me, but he would primarily lead like a new strategy for our family. Because at the end of the day, if you're not listening to mom, Mm -hmm. mom's calling dad, Mm -hmm. you know, usually it takes quite a while before dad gets that call. But, you know, just being that united front together has been nice. That is so intentional. Like what a level of awareness (laughs) to be able to pause and sit and re-strategize like yeah I mean I'm sure it's not as perfect as the picture I'm formulating nope. in my mind right nope. now but nope. <laughs> but that's so much good wisdom there to say uh, like approach everything anew and remember you're new at this the kids are new at this and you're just trying to figure it out yeah. but don't be passive right you know and don't be aggressive and this right. is this is something we've talked about but be oh, aware yeah. and be attentive mm-hmm. and then do something about it mm-hmm. not too much not too little right but I think that's really smart and like the rookie at every phase yeah thing like that's mm-hmm. huge I can't remember the first time I heard that but I was like oh man mm-hmm. that is so humbling wonderful but true. <laughs> yeah humbling yeah. true mm-hmm. provides a lot of freedom yes. for when you mess it up yep and your but. kids are exploring and finding themselves but so are you you know mm. you at as a 20 year old with freedoms is going to look different than you as you enter into 40s and have freedoms and right. with teens and you know and friendships and we can't long for what was we Mm -mm. can't long for the days of community in in our Mm -hmm. 20s when we lived across the Hudson Mm -hmm. from Manhattan right like we don't try to replicate that (laughs) right we we appreciate it Mm. we 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 nod at it and we Mm -hmm. let it influence this decade that we're walking toward yes and build something anew and it's okay if it looks different than what we enjoyed so much in the past um for sure and then make it something new for the future. That completely summarizes exactly where Nate and I's discussion have been, Mm -hmm. has been like the last couple years of like Mm -hmm. this new future of, and when you morph out of the twenties and into the parenting phase and the littles, the busyness distracts you Mm. from, you know, those types of conversations. And now you're moving towards, middle age and the kids are older so they're with their friends more Mm -hmm. or they're doing their thing more and you're still you know two humans trying to be in community Mm -hmm. and it has it's shifted so many times over Mm -hmm. the years um but to be intentional about them even though they're more independent Mm -hmm. as well as being intentional about us like Mm -hmm. we want to be friends still when mm-hmm. the kids are gone, right? Yeah. Nate and I want to be pretty important. best friends still. <laughs> be just like for life. For life. That's right. <laughs> it's amazing. So. Hey, you prayed for that, right? And that's true. He's who God gave you. I do want to ask some questions around sure. where Jesus was for you uh-huh. 
the whole time, really, because I, I can hear it interweave. Like his mm-hmm. word is interweaved in your statements. There wasn't a like, I accepted Jesus at this age. I rededicated at this age. But yeah. I'm curious, especially with the hardship. And it's yeah. a, such an easy space to say, where are you? And I... And, and turn away or have mm-hmm. questions and doubts. So if you don't mind, I just would Absolutely. like to understand your um, Jesus relationship, Jesus community yeah. within that story. Yeah. Um, well, I said that at the age of five is when my relationship started with him, and it was the cutie little Sunday school thing where mm-hmm. our school, uh, Mrs. Wojak mm-hmm. in kindergarten, she asked us if we wanted to ask Jesus in our heart, Aww. and I did, and it was at that moment that that piece I was telling you yeah. about truly entered into my five-year-old soul. Mm-hmm. I felt it like very tangibly felt it mm-hmm. as a five-year-old. So it just like solidified like, oh, he's here with me. And as a five-year-old, doesn't really freak you out because mm-hmm. you're just, you have faith like a child mm-hmm. and you're around a trusted person. And it was something that had been taught in my home. Mm-hmm. So then through the teenage years, um, I never felt like he was far from me. Okay. I didn't feel judged by him. I Because I knew through the example, like I said before, that I wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, there were certain things within the church community that I wrestled with because of um, only God is capable of being unconditional. Sure. And so when you're met up against conditional mm-hmm. uh, terms, which unfortunate for my personality Mm. are kind of like, you know, that's a battleground for Mm me. Um, I, I wrestled with those a lot. Nate and I were a good counterbalance of each other. He is more apt to, you know, go along with not unthinkingly, but just because like he is really great about like, if this is a standard Mm -hmm. and I believe in it, I'm going towards it. Mm -hmm. And I will often push back Against everything, which mm-hmm. isn't always great, which is why it was great that he was my best friend <laughs> sure. when I was 13. Yeah. Um, so there was that piece. But then in college, through a number of circumstances, um, God made it very clear for the first time in my life how um, desperately wicked, to quote the Bible, my heart was. Mm. Um, and that it was not like, well, I kind of struggle with this and I kind of struggle with that. He made it very obvious and clear through my relationship, my unique relationship with him mm-hmm. and circumstances around us that, no, my heart is desperately wicked. Yeah. And I believe at that moment when when I had wrestled that through with him because I knew something was off and he revealed himself to me in my heart, that's when I really understood salvation. Wow. Like I got it then. Mm-hmm. That's when it was like, oh, this is what Jesus did. This is who he is. Mm. This is what God is. This is what love is. And so from there on, having that foundation um, and having that affirmed in the church that we were in and having that affirmed in the relationship between Nate and I, because he was learning his own relational Mm -hmm. journey with God at that point, was key to when we hit the hardships of like, it's not supposed to be easy Mm. It's not supposed to be rule oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, it is highly and strictly relational because all people suffer from the same heart defect. Mm-hmm. And the only difference between me 
and somebody who doesn't know Jesus is Jesus. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with what I do. Oh, wow, yeah. It has nothing to do with where I go to church. It ha- it's, yeah. he's it, that's it. So that was really, really clear in my 20s. Mm-hmm. And then in my 30s, when I was going through the postpartum, um, there were several things that I think were told to me, and it wasn't because people were trying to not be helpful, but it was like um, things where sometimes when people will quote, quote scripture, they're trying to be helpful, and it wasn't helpful yeah. because my bio, my biological yep. chaos wasn't capable sure. of sure. moving towards that path, like make take every thought captive and make mm-hmm. it obedient to Christ is part of what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. And I just like couldn't do it. Yeah. And that's true. And it doesn't take away from the fact that that's true. Exactly. But you were in a space where there was a medical situation mm-hmm. that needed that and, yes. you know, but not dismissing that, but helping right. even further. Yeah, exactly. And so knowing that because I was incapable of doing that, sure. um, but also knowing that God loved me so deeply to save my depraved heart mm. unconditionally, I had a good sense of hope that I it was going to be okay mm. eventually. And Nate was really great about like, I think sometimes we'll take the biological part really far or we'll mm. take the spiritual part yes. very far. But he was really great about reminding me like, while you're learning all these things about what's going on with you hormonally, yeah. remember the spiritual side. Like you're both as yeah. a person, you're spiritual and you're emotional yes. and you're, bi- uh, and you're physical. Mm-hmm. physical. So keeping that in mind, and it wasn't like, oh, aha, now I'm better. <laughs> it was very long, drawn mm-hmm. out, messy times. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just knowing that and having that foundation in Christ mm-hmm. that I did not feel condemned, I very much believed that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. That is salvation. Like, if that's not true, what is the point, mm-hmm. right? Um, and just moving on towards that. And then in the parenting um learning how to entrust my heart to his Holy Spirit. Um, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, mm. goodness, faithfulness, <laughs> gentleness, self-control. My kids can sing a song about it mm. from the school they went to. Um, I had none of it on my own, right? Mm. And then the first time I had really become aware of the fact that I was depraved of those as mm. well on my own was when my sweet babies that I would die for mm-hmm. were capable of pushing me to be somebody I didn't want to be. Yeah. And it wasn't their fault. They're yeah. the babies. It's yeah. my fault. It's a heart issue. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't reconcile it too. And that's another phase of my relationship with God where it was like, clearly I'm in need mm-hmm. <laughs> of the fruit of your spirit and specific ones on specific days. Yes. Um, I had a wonderful mentor who would say that one of the things she would do is she would pray that the Lord would go before her every day before her feet hit the ground. Because as a mom with littles, you know that you can wake up with good intentions and that God's mercies are new every morning and your feet hit the ground, whether it's at 5.30, which was typically ours, 5.30 a.m. or 8.30 a.m. Within that next hour, it could have all gone Mm -hmm. awry and you still have the whole day. Mm -hmm. And so that was something that I adopted through like really great mentors, some good books mm-hmm. um, that were all based around Christ and what he would want for us as parents. Um, and now just like every new phase shows you your new vulnerability or your new space where you need him to fill it. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I still battle those either 
subconsciously or consciously. And sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't want to battle. Let's yeah. go ahead and move into this new space yeah. together. Um, so that's kind of where where I'm at. This is a new phase of yeah. parenting, mothering, marriage, friendship, mm-hmm. career, all of it. Mm-hmm. So that's amazing. That answer your question. It it did, and um, you used the word steady to define Nate yes. early on yes. here. And I and this word foundation that you've used here, um, those are like hands and feet and like Jesus with flesh on experiences that you get to have mm. in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it, that's his gifts. Like those are his providence over you mm. and those things that, um, you know, gave you what you needed when you needed it. Like that's, that's mm-hmm. the evidence that I heard you also say, like I made it through. And so I, t- yesterday, so I can make it through tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And those are, those are your, the things that he redeemed through it could be used for you know satan could also weave some lies and say it hurt that was hard yeah things are dark yeah and keep spiraling downward yeah and the strength that and i'm going to say the strength that you have but i'm also going to say that has, was given to you mm-hmm. so young through your parents through mm-hmm. your schools through your decision as a five-year-old and literally the holy spirit entering your heart first and foremost mm-hmm. yeah is that strength that your feet stand on for sure to make it through all of that for sure. And and it's undeniable because you can take any story and without the foundation of Christ, right. there's there's no redemption mm-hmm. in it. Like you can take what what seems like a fairy fairy tale story to one person mm-hmm. and there's nothing underneath it if there's not Christ. Right. And so like I was fortunate with many of the circumstances I was put in, but still would not be right making the life choices or having the life trajectory that I just spelled out there. I don't Mm -hmm. know what's to come um, without Christ and, you know, more hardships I could have spoken about or whatever, because we all know life's hard. Mm -hmm. Um, But I agree with you, like 100% without Jesus as that foundation, you can't be steady. Even when you don't feel steady, you Mm -hmm. can still be steady because for goodness sake, there was a moment. Yeah. <laughs> Quite a few of or them, two. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, and it's not Nate that was steady. It's not your school that was steady or, you know, right. the community in New Jersey. It's like all of that is mm-hmm. God pres- God's presence within each of those things. So mm-hmm. the fact that you were able to be surrounded by that for so much of your life, you know, mm-hmm. your, the work that your parents did, which I now see you yeah. doing for your children oh, as my well. Goodness. I just love being around you. I, I should... We should talk every day because I just Deal. feel... <laughs> I'm in. Feel stronger. <laughs> Let's do it. Around you. So, uh. you know, like being here at this stage and if there is a mom, a mama bear, as you've called yourself, <laughs> listening to this, you know, kind of in a summary, what would you want to say or what kind of a bit of advice would you give to somebody who might be listening and resonating mm. with these parts of your story that are pretty unique? Yeah. A uh, couple things. I First would be like be like seriously you hear this but be kind to yourself like you mm-hmm. love those babies mm-hmm. and you're not going to do it perfectly and the other piece would be put people in your life that help you through the imperfections where mm-hmm. like the whole iron sharpens iron thing that they can see the good in you you can see the good in them and together you can kind of move towards uh becoming better a better mom a better spouse uh whatever that is um in Christ. And even, you know, 
I think what was big for me along with that is oftentimes disciplining myself, which I don't really prefer to discipline myself to do things, um, to actually search out biblical um, studies, biblical truth, podcasts Mm. that really resonate with where you are Mm -hmm. and your personality, um, Mm -hmm. as long as it's truthful Mm -hmm. and is building into your foundation. That's what I would say. And like, just, you know, stick to it. Find your people. Mm -hmm. Um, Have them on speed dial. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. No more long distance charges. They can be anywhere. There's so many tools. Marco Polo, Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram, whatever it takes. Absolutely. And, And really that's what our heart is here at Grace. So I'll even share yes. for listeners, if, if this resonates with you, whether it's a group that you want to get involved in. I mean, we have mom groups, parent groups, not even just moms, that you mm-hmm. can come and let your kids run around. There's story yeah. times. There's there's Bible studies and life groups and so many things. If, if you, we don't have it yet, come to us and we'll start it with your help. Right. So you'll get put in charge of it, but we can do it together. But I just want to encourage you that there are so many resources here. You can reach out to us here through the podcast, through Grace, our website, and you know, get in touch with any of the departments here at Grace that might resonate with you. If Kelsey's story resonates with you, you know, we would love to talk through that and help you with wherever you are in your journey. For sure. For sure. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I do know you better now, and (laughs) I will still be surprised next time you tell me that you and Nate met when you were 13. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Yep. It's a shocker. Such a fun love story. (laughs) Thank you. This was fun. Always a good time.